Welcome to the Asian Heart Mind Body Collective. I'm Adele Ray. And I'm Danielle Jung. We're here to bring essential healing to Asian communities and beyond. This podcast holds sacred circle for everyday people by integrating mindfulness practice, cross-cultural ritual, and storytelling. With the tools of our own medicine, we unearth the impact of intergenerational trauma, unravel the deeper connection between all things, and explore the spiritual mystery of simply living every day in our beautiful Asian bodies. Join us and dive deeply into the discovery of our own medicine and heart, mind, body awareness. A dark night of the soul, an important stranger, a triggering of the sacred and finding her own original medicine at a monastery in Thailand. Buddhist and indigenous teacher Carol Kano tells her story, discusses braiding wisdom, grief work, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Carol also suggests ways of creating our own sacred space and guides our listeners on a four rivers of intelligence meditation. Thank you, Carol. It is, uh, it's such a, it's such a privilege and an honor to uh, be here with you. Adele and I wouldn't have even birthed this podcast if it wasn't for you being our teacher and bringing us together with a handful of other incredible human beings into the leadership training program with braided wisdom. Carol, her, her late elder, Angelus Orion, who's an award-winning author and cultural anthropologist, mentored her for 15 years in cross-cultural approach to spirituality and indigenous wisdom. Carol is also a student of Jack Cornfield and is a graduate of the Dharma Leadership Program at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Carol's built spiritual communities internationally, co-founded the Philippine Insight Meditation Community, has worked as an HIV AIDS counselor and health educator, and even co-founded a cross-cultural intervention program for people suffering from substance abuse. Uh, as, as Carol's student, what I wanted to share that I appreciate most about her is uh, the way that she embraces uh, the in-between, uh, the, the nuance, the complexity, the darkness, the mystery, and the reality that uh, we are all just hot messes and lovable at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adele, what would you add to that? So I feel like through Carol's teachings and braided wisdom and her knowledge in Southeast Asian Buddhism and the Theravada tradition, she has brought me home to my, my own lineage. And so that's why I feel a really um, deep connection with her and her teachings and also to a movement in this country right now that she is a part of to decolonize Buddhism and make it accessible to all people. So Carol, with that said, I'm so glad to have you here and thank you so much for being here. <laughs> it feels really good to be here. Thank you. Thank you for the really warm welcome. I really appreciate it. Cool. So Carol, I have a question for you. So we know your spiritual practice began over 30 years ago at a monastery in Thailand. Can you tell us about your spiritual journey and how it informed your approach to life and your teachings? You know, I started this journey when I was 19 and um, I was living in London and I had the job I dreamt of that I wanted and lived in the West End, which is really near my work and really was living the life I thought I really wanted to live and had love, had work, had great flat. And it was really, it kind of hit me one day when I woke up to go to work. I was literally like, well, never forget. I just walked out the door 
of my flat. It's almost that some people might describe it as Monday blues and that kind of feeling like I'm going to work, <laughs> catching the bus. And I just started questioning, is this, is this what life is? Work, love, and is this it? And I, I just started questioning that, like, I felt the highness of something I felt that I wanted and I dreamt of to live in London, to live and to work in the industry I was working in and to have the great fortune of, of a new relationship. And, and, um, and then I just asked that question and it just felt like someone just kicked me in the gut of realization. Like I just felt put out in that moment of this is it. Is this what life is? And it just hit me. A really sinking feeling hit me. And it, I was soon after really quite depressed. And it just made me just really started to have a different lens of how I was experiencing my life from that point onward. And it wasn't until like I had to go to a best friend's birthday party, which I was not in a mood to do in that moment because I really was walking around with this dark cloud, like this is life, this is it, whoa. And um, it wasn't until I met an important stranger. I was sitting in back of the, uh, you know, my friend had rented a pub and the party was there. And I had sit way in the back in the dark corner. I had no idea someone was right in the back behind in the corner sitting there as well. <laughs> And I heard a voice said, you are too young to look so sad. And I turned and was shocked. And it turned out to be um, a woman who was a middle-aged woman. And I have never met her before. And I just turned to her and said, wow, what a weird thing to say. You know, it's just like having this conversation. <laughs> like who are you? And uh, she asked me some questions like, why are you so sad? And we ended up having this long conversation. And I had this, you know, hindsight 2020, this familiar feeling of like auntie, um, you know, older woman has always made an impact in me in childhood, you know, memories of my grandmother's kitchen where all the action took place, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, people coming and going and coffee, fighting, crying, screaming, you name it, it all happened in my grandmother's kitchen. And, you know, um, and I just, I just felt, I guess, this really, this feeling of that um, memory. And um, it was really the first time that I felt nurtured by this important stranger in that moment, asking me, why am I so sad? And she left, she had to leave. So she turned and she goes, I'm going to give you my, she gave me her card and she goes, I'm going to give you this card, but I want you to promise me that you'll meet me. And, and I said, and she goes this week, meet me for tea. And I just kind of was looked at her like, okay. But she was so insistent. You have to meet me. And I was like, okay. And I said, yes, I, I will. We, we will be, I will call you. And I did call her because I was so curious. Like, I think also I was young, that age 
quite self-absorbed. Someone was listening to my story. <laughs> I was feeling nurtured. And then I was just like, I'm definitely going to call, I'm sure. And um, we did ended up, I did call her and set a time to meet her. And we met in this really posh hotel with property. <laughs> it was like, what is happening here? And where am I going? So I made it to meet with her to have proper tea in this posh hotel and thought, what am I doing here? And in that moment, we sat down for more, not more than maybe 20 minutes. And she was like, you know, I've been thinking about everything you said all these days. And, you know, um, I just want you to know that feeling that you have inside, that that feeling that you've just been knocked out by life that is empty, no one's going to be able to feel that for you ever. You're going to have to do that yourself. And she goes, you know, when I was a young girl, I we lived in India. My parents, my father was in the army, the British army, and we were, we, you know, he was stationed in India. My most memorable trip as a young girl, probably a little bit, a couple of years younger than yourself, was in, in Siam, which was Thailand. She called it Siam. And, um, and she goes, and that is where you can meet the Buddha and the teachings of the Buddha. And I was like, the Buddha who? <laughs> you know, like, who's this Buddha? And, uh, and she goes, and she goes, I'm going to hand you this envelope. And I looked at her and she goes, it's too late for me, but you're young. You have your whole life ahead of you. And she gave me the envelope. And I've never, I've always, that story always stuck to my heart because having known know the Buddha Dharma, it's never too late. But in her mind, it's too late for her. And she, I want to help you. Here's an envelope. In that envelope is 500 quid and my uh, travel agent's card who's expecting your call and um, all I want from you. And I just, I gave her this look in that moment, like, what does she want from me? And, and she goes, all I want from you is like she read my mind is a letter telling me how you are. And I was completely Whoa. shocked. <laughs> wow. That yeah. is so deep. Wow. I didn't know that, Carol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What a story. I don't really tell people because it's kind of, you know, out there. I ran to go call my best friend and tell him, you're not going to believe what happened. And I told him and he goes, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, like. I said, well, what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to break up and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to sublet my apartment and I'm leaving. <laughs> That's it. Wow. That's what I'm going to do. Amazing. Wow. You know, hindsight 2020, you know, I have a psychology degree and, and worked in mental health and, you know, done this spiritual path for so many years. And when I look back, I think of, you know, it's, it's almost the equivalent of dark night of the soul, existential crisis that happened at that age. And the dark night of the soul is, you know, feeling a sense of complete loss, ground taken from underneath me. And, um, and then the important stranger comes in and just completely turn my life around 360 degrees by an opportunity that at that juncture, why the fuck not? 
you know, what else do I have to lose? You know, and I just, every, maybe it is through the important stranger, the remembering that it triggered my connection to my grandmother, my mother, my aunties, the women in my life. Maybe that is where the stimulation of trust came in. But there, you know, there was a, a memory of, of nurturing occurring in this important stranger of, of real sincere curiosity and was touched by my experience that I myself could not see. You know, so I was feeling it, I was in it, but I could not see what she saw from the outside, you know. And so, um, you know, how it relates to now, I feel like, you know, the, you know, the, maybe this dark night of the soul, this journey that, that begins, this initiatory process, this initiation that we're all in at this moment, where this pandemic has really put us in this place of, you know, as my dear friend Manbali would say, you know, um, you know, mama put a, sent us to our room, meaning Pachamama, mother nature, sent us to our room. And through that process, you know, imagine being helpless and lost and you get sent to your room and you're stuck with yourself. And, you know, it for me, that just perpetuated more fear and uncertainty and unknown. But what an opportunity to, um, to really, you know, um, make a choice to make a choice in the direction to which direction to go with it, you know, the opportunity that's there. So there wasn't really a choice for me. I was felt very much, um, I don't know, I had not, it's very difficult to find words for it because I had not experienced anything like that in my life. So, and how we think about it now with regards to the pandemic, um, you know, we have not experienced this in our lifetime. And here we are, the extension of the second year of this pandemic with the Delta variant. And, you know, people are having breaking points. They're actually losing their mind. And we're seeing the... um, the extreme paradox of this life, you know, you know, with violence, oppression, um, you know, just a, you know, d- severe displacement of people, of whole people, and let alone, you know, our within our own self, what is, you know, happening within our own uh, understanding. So it, there, it, I think that, you know, this um, this opportunity you know, of this place that we're at, that we are being initiated collectively, globally, if I were to use the indigenous perspective, this is an initiatory process we're all in. And we're either going to lose our minds or, you know, I mean, the Buddha wasn't too far off around the three, um, you know, characteristic of greed, hatred, and delusion. And we're seeing it rampantly across the world, you know, greed to the nth degree, hatred, delusion. 
And then we have this, you know, the mass amount of people in this, what my, you know, late beloved teacher, Angelus Aaron would say, you know, this, um, you know, are you refusing to see what is here? And, and if so, then we become the procession of the living dead. So we're just numb. So the value of indigenous wisdom of becoming a good tracker is to understand what is challenging us and inspiring us and moving us in such a way that we start to feel deeply and moved. And if we can feel those feelings of being deeply moved by the challenges or surprises that are in our life, as she would often say, that touches us, then we're still live alive. And we choose life. And it's, but it's so easy for many of us to just shut down and numb out and, you know, go the extreme opposite way because of this place is so intense, this deep place of, um, of feeling displaced internally and lost. Just going back to the story of, you know, I'm off to Thailand. <laughs> and not knowing what I'm in for. I mean, I got a Lonely Planet book. I knew that much. And I picked a monastery, not by a famous meditator or teacher, but one that was run by nuns. Again, I'm being attracted to what is, you know, it wasn't intentional. There was something happening organically, falling into place, sought, you know, maybe looking for family in some way. And so this small little monastery in the island of Copenhagen and, you know, and the province of Saratani, Thailand, southern Thailand, I was able to um, live there and to experience, you know, what it would be like to be in that environment that is so unfamiliar with my life at that time. And um, I... You know, the first year and a half, I didn't learn the teachings of the Buddha. The language barrier was very difficult. The language barrier was literally you see, you do, and you um, practice, you know. So it would be here's the, you know, here's the broom, sweep the hall, sit in the hall, listen, you know, wake up, wash your clothes, cut the carrots, wash the dishes, you know, I mean, it was really like that. And it was great for the first few months until then it became really still inside myself. And it was beautiful. I mean, we could see the island's view in all 360 degrees circular. If you were to walk around the monastery, you would see the whole, you were on top of the the height of the highest point of the island so you could see everywhere and and it was just a beautiful scene but the more within that beauty the more stillness that happened I got more in touch with some really deep anger and the family stuff came up and lots of emotions lots of stuff so it it you know so it took me about six months to break the anger that started coming inside of me, that angst teenager. And I couldn't leave because it would leave with me. <laughs> so I was really trapped. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I daydreamed about leaving all the time, but I was like, where am I going to go with this anger? And, you know, the first thing what I would say about the anger is that I was in the kitchen 
cutting vegetables and suddenly I was demoted with the sweep at the furthest point of the monastery to sweep the dirt of a walking path, you know, because so, I was so angry. But it was the most amazing medicine because, you know, it was, it took, you know, I practice, I walk because that's what her hands would say, walk, sweep, and that's it. And that was my thing. And I would sit and do morning chants and chanting. I didn't know what I was chanting, but, you know, I would do that. And it's sort of, you know, just, I mean, the anger grew and grew and grew. And um, it grew so much that at one point, I don't know, maybe you might have heard this in some of my teaching, because, you know, anger is a thing that many people can relate to, because you're taken and you're put in this retreat so just like this pandemic, you know, Ma, Pachamama puts us in this retreat, sent us to our room, and we're left with all of our emotions. We didn't even see this pandemic coming. So we're just here stuck with ourselves. And then so anger was brewing from here I am in this monastery. Anger is boiling and brewing. And my walking path was, oh my gosh, I was walking so fast. And one time this was you know, the dent in the dirt was getting deeper because I was kicking the dirt with anger. And I was saying words I won't say here. <laughs> and this, you know, blank, blank, walking, walking, walking. And I was just so angry and I just wanted to leave and escape and fantasize on everything and then not knowing where the hell to go with myself and who was I, I was having total breakdown. And I was just one day so angry that I kicked so hard the dirt and I fell and landed on my back and butt in my head. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Ouch. in that moment, I just, it hurt and I landed and I just cried so hard and I laughed so hard. And I cried and I laughed and then suddenly it stopped. And it, I don't know how many minutes went by or out, I don't know, hours, I have no idea. And I just would look up and I suddenly this, this stillness, I heard the birds and saw the beauty of the jungle for the first time. It felt like the first time and the trees and the birds and the clouds and the sounds and the moisture, every sense door you can imagine opened. And I just felt this immersed beauty with nature. And I just cried and really that was the shift for me, that moment. And I never went back to that type of anger again in my life. And it was the medicine that I had longed for and um, had arrived to. And um, shortly after, I didn't know the head nun had written to have English teachers come. And it was the first retreat that was going to happen from two, um, one Australian and one American, Stephen and Rosemary, um, who came, they must have been six, seven years older than me. And they came and taught the first 10-day retreat. I never walked away from the Dharma after that. 
as a person who has anger issues, like <laughs> I, I hope one day that I can say something similar <laughs> to have an amazing story like that. Although I feel like there's a, everybody has their own way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, how, you know, how this can relate is that we do not have a choice, but to be with ourselves in this retreat that's been imposed by this pandemic. And we can look at it two ways. People are truly losing their minds and, and any sanity that they may have. And then, you know, or people are breaking down and, and, and are rising through a breakthrough from the breakdown, a breakthrough occurs. So it just is, um, you know, I would say that this was many months into it, like six months of anger, a few months settling. So maybe I'm thinking a nine months, oh, there you go, nine months process, but of, you know, this rebirthing occurring. And, and I feel that when we're at the brink of our own madness and feeling incredibly lonely and displaced and lost with these intense emotions such as anger, what opportunity do we have in that moment? And for a spiritual path, there is a memory of, of being triggered of the sacred. You know, the, the memory of just, you know, if we look at the sense doors, one, silence. You know, silence, being in the company of deep silence and meeting ourselves with that silence and all the edges and then listening to what is here. And then we use the, you know, the understanding, you know, it just comes in in, our, in ourselves of, you know, of if we're on this spiritual path, in this journey, you know, it's just remembering why we even started it, you know, in the first place. I do believe it ignites, you know, something innately in us that is um, very familiar um, with the divine and with the sacred, with, you know, whatever language that works for you. Would you say the triggering of the sacred is, is triggering our own original medicine? And could you speak about that? And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm just making stuff up when I say that. (laughs) (laughs) If I go back and I look at that moment of that fall with that intense anger and, and, and then you're, you know, the, it was broken by a landing physically, right? So you're crying and you're laughing or whatever. And there was a deep release, but in that deep release, my eyes were seeing the jungle for the first time and listening to the surrounding nature. And if we were, we take time, I mean, the indigenous centered way is when we take time in nature, it's a direct mirror of our own beauty, our own nature. And, and, and that memory is triggered. It's innately in us in terms of, you know, the human experience. You know, we are of the same elements as nature, air, fire, water, earth. And, you know, so these, we are, there's this interdependentness that is happening in that moment that we feel so connected in that moment. I connect it with that beauty of nature. And there was a settling that happened in my being. And I feel like, you know, when that settling comes in 
and we start to look at, you know, our own, you know, talk about the original medicine, but when we start to just connect in a way that we are no different than nature, we are of nature, and we start to feel that mirroring happening, it touches something in the depth of the mystery of life itself. And if we can be open and receptive to that, then what unfolds next? It's a very personal journey for each of us. And many mystics, you know, many of the great sages and teachers and philosophers of our time, I mean, even Jesus, you know, Buddha, nature. And so, you know, so then when we can settle in this understanding of that, then what resides in us that is no different that, you know, what is the purpose? Like, what is the purpose of my life? Who am I really? You know, and touching into the bones of that, touching into the earth element of that, but also connecting to the fire of that as one, you know, tradition would say the fire represents the ancestors. And when we start to recognize that within ourselves, that connect with nature and all things, then we start to go deeper in ourselves to understand then what is what is my purpose being here. And so for me, this original medicine is really getting in touch with oneself as, you know, and, and one and seeing oneself as this unique being, as having gifts and talent, and start to, you know, bring their your own medicine into the world, your offering. For the people who struggle to know that they're enough as they are, how how can they break down some of those conditionings to touch into themselves in the way that you're talking about? Yeah, I think that's where you know the 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 braiding um, of the Buddha Dharma, you know, and the indigenous wisdom, you know. And the, the, my, my three braids are, and one is the mystery. So that's my braid. It doesn't mean that it's everyone else's braid. It's my braid, the Buddha Dharma and, you know, um, indigenous wisdom and the, and the mystery. And for me, there's just this, you know, there's this braid that is occurring where I'm integrating these different aspects of myself. And for it took me many years to be able to do this braided way where, you know, Angelus, I'll just say a quote from her that I wanted to share, you know, a braided way, a way where the old that which has not has worked for thousands of years is not sacrificed for the new, the creative, the innovation. The new is not sacrificed for the old. Those threads can continue forward. Both having their own place creates a synergy, a third option, an option that would always appear where we began to create a foundation for a both-and world rather than to continue to support an either-or world. So, you know, one's braid has this, you know, deep... um, you know, understanding that we come from this ancestral lineage, whatever that may be. You know, uh, it took me going from the all the way thousands of miles away from home, from my motherland, and coming back. It took me going through Theravada Buddhism, being really beautifully welcomed there and held there and healed there, 
and come out back to my motherland, to my own ancestral, you know, understanding through Native American spirituality, lots of ceremony, rituals, working with medicine people, and really diving into, you know, years of, of ceremony and work around that and then coming home and then meeting my Basque elder, which was the late Angelus Arian. And, and I never, I didn't even see that coming. That was such a gift because her teachings were about pre-Christian, you know, indigenous Basque pre-Christian teachings, but not, not pushing away the Christianity part that became part of the culture and even deeply rooted in her own family lineage is mine as well. So I've learned to create peace with that because I couldn't create peace with Christianity because so much um, harm and violence to, you know, the other aspects of who I am. And I just felt, you know, there was some ancestors who that was their solace to go to church, light a candle, be to do this. So when I think of these certain ancestors, I do go walk into a church and light a candle on their birthday or remembering for them. It is not my way, but for them. And there is some reconciliation occurring in that, you know, and this other aspect of recognizing having the oppressor in, in me and having the oppressed in me as well and reconciling those differences. It doesn't matter if one is coming from, you know, refugee from another country, going into another culture, there is still, you know, this, this challenge that's there that, that in many ways maps out our own internalized map until we can really untangle that and start to do some reconciliation and forgiveness work of maybe for my understanding for myself of my own not understanding, you know, like my not understanding is what I'm forgiving. Mm. You know, and I'm not saying to forgive people for their actions or a whole people who have completely muted a whole other people. What I'm saying is, you know, the ignorance that's there within myself of understanding it is what I'm forgiving. And then the forgiveness for maybe the action of it so that I can move on and create some healing and become part of that solution. And um, so the, the, the grief work and the forgiveness work and the reconciliation work is paramount for a spiritual path. And it provides, you know, a, a deep widening and opening to ourselves where we touch on something we have not yet known. You, you were talking about the grief work and reconciliation. Is this like ongoing until your for your whole life? Or do you think it expands into other aspects? Or is it different for different people? Or maybe I'm just asking something that's too like absolute. The question's too absolute a question. Well, no, I think it's good questions because, you know, I don't know about you, but um, reconciliation and forgiveness work is not something that I learned through my own cultural understanding. You know, it was something that I really, you know, the Buddha Dharma brought into 
my life around, you know, really deepening the, what we call the metta, deepening the practice of really um, having this, you know, the meaning of metta is this goodwill, this friendliness, this, um, you know, this befriending of self and others in life. And, you know, it, it just changes our perspective of the path that we're on. And we notice that it doesn't solve everything because you go home <laughs> and the very people you love are the ones who challenge you the most and bring out the worst of you. I don't know about you all, but I can definitely <laughs> have one or two of those relatives and they yeah. just know exactly what button to push. Yes. And, and then, you know, and they believe me, you know, over the years, I have a few decades. So, you know, many times I threw the spirituality out the window, <laughs> just, <laughs> of course. you know, and then I had to like, gather myself like and that didn't feel good and then come back to this like that was an old way of being you know and moving into this other way which is a way that is this beauty way which is another indigenous perspective this walking this way that um it it's yeah i the reconciliation has to help happen first with myself and the forgiveness work with myself for the ignorance that I had for making whatever choices that I made and forgiving myself for that, you know? And you know, I talk about, you know, the good, the true, the ugly, you know, like an old Western movie, just, you know, the ugliness of it all. And yet, you know, um, meeting all parts of ourselves as a form of understanding and forgiving and and accepting yeah that, that's beautiful carol it's just the way that you and, and your uh late elder spoke about the old and the new not either being better than the other those ways braiding together the whole of us i think that's such a important lesson for where we are in history in the world right now with all the suffering and the violence and the racial injustice that's occurring. And think, the extremes and the dichotomies and the binaries. It's, it's so black and white, you know, so extreme and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And it's anything but black and white. It's it's gray. It's, 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 so it's all the colors. Yeah. It's all the colors. And you know what what are people being invited in to uncover within themselves? to heal, uh, starting with themselves, as you said, for yourself, Carol, as a means for this deeper collective healing that Pachamama is asking us to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, you, you both just said it. I mean, this these, these um, paradox that lives within us, you know, that's a first, you know, it's like really, I guess when I think of the Buddha Dharma is that we're really meeting what's here, you know, so that time of creating space for silence and even going one step further, if creating space that's sacred, having a sacred space in one's home, it doesn't have to be much. It could be a corner of a room that you put a candle that you, you know, the candle represents something sacred as you light it or, you know, um, or, you know, a place where you honor your ancestors. And even if you don't know them, they don't have to be 
blood relatives, they could be adopted, they could be the teachers, they could be the important strangers, they could be a historical person, they could be the winged creatures, the four-legged creatures, they could be, you know, seen and unseen, they could, you know, it, there's so much that is there that we're connecting with and, and being curious, why why is it that I'm connecting with the butterfly or something? Why is it that I'm connecting with, you know, just being the curious, like a child, what does this mean? Who, what is this that's here that I feel really drawn towards and having that place where we can come to that is, we know that it represents a sacred space and, and we can drop in and then we can meet those you know, most of us, the last person we want to deal with or to be with is ourselves. And because of these opposing forces that live within us, you know, one being I'm not good enough, I'm not, you know, smart enough, I'm not whatever, you know, I mean, that's another thing that she speaks about because she talks about, you know, this, I have also wrote this so that I can say it here, you know, she spoke about is your self-worth as strong as your critic. Mm -hmm. And this question is asked from indigenous people all over the world, you know, because it's like the good, the true, the beautiful in my nature, as strong as the whispers of demons and monsters. And so that's why the value of being a good tracker of indigenous meaning, or, you know, to be able to really go within and see what is what are the paradoxes of your own being that is at war with each other? And to really, you know, the meditation aspects is really seeing what's here. Is that really true? Is this really what you believe? Or is this a voice that came from a past teacher or a, a relative or, you know, a, this, a discerning, you know, a, you know, an adult that whatever that we took on and it's interesting because the more we can sit and be with that, we start to learn that a lot of what we believe isn't even ours. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need to get rid of that shit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Carol, thank you so much for your generous offering of this next practice of the four rivers of intelligence. Thank Whenever you. Whenever you're ready. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do this. So um, I'm going to invite you both and everyone listening to just pick a very comfortable position and a place that you would like to be for 15 minutes. And you can, I invite you to either sit up or lie down, whatever serves you in this moment. And if you find that difficult and you need to stand or if you need to walk, that is fine as well. If you need to have your eyes open, just kind of look down or if you do them wide open, just have a soft gaze. You can have your eyes closed if it's comforting and meets you where you're at. And I invite you to Settle your mind onto your body and allow the body to settle into the position that you chose for this session. And 
maybe taking a few deep breaths just to bring yourself here, arriving in this moment, realizing we're going to cultivate some stillness of the body. And you may connect with your breath as it is the element of air running through you. And you don't have to do any effort with the breath at all, just noticing the quality of breath that's here. I definitely would like to invite the kind witness to be here, the one observing, the one knowing. You may feel the expansion of your ribs or belly contracting, expanding with each breath. Feeling the ribs, the bones of your pelvic, your knees, your ankles. The earth, the element of earth, even the muscles, and you may connect to the water that lies within your own mouth or saliva. Maybe some tears in the corner of your eye. Maybe through heaviness, cohesion, lightness of the body, the earth and the water running through the body, the blood oxygen. Connecting to these elements that exist within you and outside of you. Even fire, the warmth of your hands or your belly or the coolness may be your feet, your face, the lack of fire, just notice. Even notice the temperature externally, if it's cool or warm.
And just noticing the internal process and the external process of these elements that coexist. I'd like to invite you to just be open and receptive, restful, even relaxed. And invite the four rivers of intelligence with the mind's eye visualizing. So imagine yourself in a in your favorite place in nature. You can be as you are today. You can in your mind's eye picture yourself who you are today with kindness. Or if it's easier, you can picture yourself as a child at a time that you were the most happiest. You may even say your name three times. calling yourself to be here in your mind's eye, imagining. Going to this favorite place in nature, it could be a meadow, a park, or a beach, a mountain, anywhere that soothes you, you feel happy, content, even joy. Imagine yourself in your mind's eye being in this place of nature, your favorite place. Look at the surroundings. Notice what's there. Notice if there's a body of water nearby. And as we check in with your physical body, with your mind's eye, just notice the energetic nature of your physical body. Meaning, do you feel fatigued, tired, or energetic? And if you were to imagine a body of water in nature, whether it's an ocean, a pond, a waterfall, a lake, even 
a puddle of water on the street, a flowing stream. What would the, what representation of the body of water would really speak to where your body is right now, the energetic aspect of your body? So just checking in. What body of water represents your physical body in this moment? And notice if the water is still or wildly coming in with waves. That represents the energetic aspect of the physical body. So what body of water and what energetic flow of this body of water that represents your body in this moment? With your mind's eye, you're imagining your body in this form of body of water and the energy that it flows. And now with your mind's eye, where are you mentally right now? Checking in with your own state of mind, if it was a body of water, what body of water would represent the state of your mind in this moment? Are thoughts coming and going rapidly, like white rapid water through a river? Or stillness? Imagine the body of water and the energetic representation of the mind state. What would it be? Just checking in. And you may notice that your physical body of water is very different than your mental body of water, even different energy flows. Or maybe not, maybe they're similar. You're just noticing no comparing mind, no judgment, just curious, just noticing what's so.
And when you're ready to check in where you are emotionally, in your mind's eye, imagine a body of water that represents your emotional state, your emotions, and the energetic flow of them. If it's happy, what would it look like as a body of water? Or dull, or sad, or sorrow, or angry, or rageful? What body of water is there that represents your emotional intelligence? and the energetic flow that represents it in this moment. Just noticing. And lastly, your spiritual intelligence. Imagine with your mind's eye what body of water represents your spiritual intelligence and the flow, the energetic flow of it. And if spiritual doesn't work for you, it could be your will that drives you, that ignites you. Without judgment, just notice the body of water that it represents. Represents your spiritual intelligence or your will. And take a moment to review all four intelligence. Notice if there's similarities or they're all quite different. Again, we're not judging. We're just noticing the current, energetic currency of it, of each one. It may be very different than another, different terrain completely or similar and how does it inform you as you check in with how you are in this moment check in with how you are in your physical body your mental states your emotional self your spiritual intelligence, just noticing what's here energetically, how alive it is or subtle, how it informs you of the complexity of who you are, but yet it all coexists in this moment, exactly 
as you are. How does this inform you? Without thinking too much of it, you're just observing, just noticing. And you may take a few deep breaths just to ground yourself back into your body, feet on the ground, leaving each terrain, knowing it's coming to an end, this session. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes softly. And really take note, if you want, how it informed you to be exactly where you are. And that these four intelligence live through you. Indigenous people from all four corners of the world do not just acknowledge one intelligence. All four intelligence inform this life of yours.